Hi again, everyone, and welcome to the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I'm Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along on this Monday evening as we talk about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds for another week. And in order to do this, we've got to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert about the Cincinnati Reds. Let's bring on board Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Well, I, I've decided I'm going to be a, I don't know, how about a Los Angeles Dodger expert? <laughs> uh, because the Reds baffle me so much, uh, I, I don't understand what they're doing or why they are doing it. But um, we'll, we'll get into that. We will definitely get into that. Mark, I think our live listenership for our show is going to increase tonight. Do you know why I feel that way? I do not, David. Let me explain to you, oh great one. Jack Bauer saved the world last week on 24, live another day. The, the season now is over for 24, which was going right up against us. I know people were sitting out there, Mark, wondering, do I watch Jack Bauer save the world, or do I go listen and find out what Mark and Dave think about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds? Now they don't have that choice to make. They can just sign in to us tonight. Well, it's a good thing because we have a lot to say tonight, and um, so I think Jack Bauer has had his run, and it's our turn right now. I agree. Well, let's get into it. First of all, the Indians played good baseball in Detroit coming out of the All-Star break. They won three out of four against the Tigers. I thought they had to at least split against Detroit. They did one better than that. I'm happy with what they did. They're five-and-a-half games out of first place, in second place all by themselves in the Central Division. Detroit's got their problems, which I want to talk about later, but the Indians did what they had to do, even though yesterday was a little bit disappointing against Drew Smiley. On the other hand, the Reds went to New York and played the Yankees in a three-game set, and both teams this year, Mark, the Reds and the Yankees, have had trouble scoring and that was the type of series, the Reds losing all three, and that was the type of series where you saw both teams having a tough time scoring. Well, it was more than that. The Reds didn't get, get outstanding pitching. Their, their defense was horrendous, and this is a team that supposedly is the best defensive team in baseball. Their base running was atrocious. They, they did nothing well. And there are times when this team cannot overcome its weaknesses by starting pitching. And uh, it's – well, what's frustrating is how many games has this team lost this year by one run, two to one, one to nothing, three to two? I don't have the, the numbers in front of me, but I would bet they lead Major League Baseball in that category. And this gets back to the, the management and the ownership – why do you wait till now to do this? Had the Reds added a, bat, a hitter earlier in the year or two, it's likely they would be up by five, six games by now. You, you, you don't know for sure, but logic dictates if you put a guy hitting 280, 290, or a couple of them in this lineup, it would have a, a profound effect on the team. And they still are not going to make a move. Well, if they lose three games to Milwaukee this week, uh, they're going to be back six games behind. <laughs> and now you're going to make a move? Gee, that's that's great baseball. That's, that's really smart baseball. Yeah, right now the Reds enter this game tonight with Milwaukee, 51-47 and 47 overall. They're in fourth place in the Central Division. They're just two and a half games behind Milwaukee and St. Louis. And what's really strange about the three divisions in the National League, Mark, is that all three divisions have a first-place tie. Washington, Atlanta, Milwaukee, St. Louis, and the Dodgers and the Giants are all tied for first place. But realistically, it's Milwaukee and St. Louis that are really tied because they have exactly the same record. It's percentage points, Washington really over Atlanta, and the Giants over the Dodgers in the Western Division. But I can't remember any time where that has been that way, the same way, on the same day where all three divisions have had a tie. Well, what that means, of course, by the end of the year, assuming it's going to stay reasonably close in all three divisions, it's going to be awfully hard to get a wild card spot because there's going to right. be so many, so many teams in, in competition for that. And at, at this point, it looks like the Cardinals are, are by, 
by far the best team in the in the Central Division, and the Pirates and the Brewers and the Reds, uh, they're three reasonably weak teams. But uh, the Reds, the only reason the Reds have been playing well or, or staying close is they've been able to beat everybody in the division except St. Louis and beat them rather soundly, actually. So they've got to continue to do that against Milwaukee. That's right. And right now they're behind one to nothing uh, because of an error uh, on a bad throw. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, runners at second and third and uh, one out, and the Reds ought to be able to, you know, handle Milwaukee if they would score runs, but uh, <laughs> they're just not scoring runs. Well, the reason I brought up the, the ties for all three divisions is because if you look at this wild card race, which I never try to look at it until after the All-Star break. So this is the first chance that I've actually looked at the wild card standings. The Reds are three games behind the last wild card spot. But realistically, because the three divisions have a tie for first place, the Reds are not really in fourth place for the wild card. They're almost what you would term either sixth or seventh for that wild card spot. And that's a lot of teams to overcome. That's right. And that's what I was saying earlier. It's because of, of the, the parity in the National League, it's going to be awfully tough for a team like the Reds. They don't score a lot of runs. And, you know, to put together a winning streak of any kind of length at all is going to be awfully difficult for them. So, uh, again, I, I don't know what else to say. I, I'm certainly I'm not the only one. I, I read the comments online. You, you just wonder what we're seeing when I say we, the press and uh, the blogger world and, and baseball fans in general who know anything about what this team needs, why are you waiting until July 21st to make a deal? And even then, there's no guarantee it's going to be a deal. Well, that's the Walt Jockety way. Are you hearing anything that the Reds are involved in so far, Mark? Because I'm hearing several rumors with the Indians being involved with something, but are you hearing anything about the Reds? Uh, Josh Willingham is a name that comes up, but he's having a lousy year, hitting around 230. Uh, you're, you're better off just sticking with Ludwig. That's right. I mean, what, what, are, you, what are you gaining with that? So uh, in, unless you go out there and try and get somebody from, from Seattle, they, they've got a, a lot of left-handed sticks out there. You could probably pry them away a good, um, a good 275, 280 hitter out there. There's a number of guys that fit that category. So it, it's Oh, my God. Chris Heisey just had a ball go over his head in the left field, misplayed it badly. <laughs> I just cannot believe it. Wow. This is amazing. It's, well, it's speaking of Heisey. Uh, yeah. It was, it was a line drive right at him. He comes in, the ball goes over his head, and, and two runs score. Uh, it's one of the big disappointments for me over the last three or four years is his, his performance. He, he's just had every, every opportunity in the world to, to play, and he, he just doesn't pull the trigger on his opportunities. And I, I don't understand how the Reds can um, not go out there and get somebody who can play this game. It's, it's really sad. And, and Latos, uh, for those of you not watching the game, he, he, he's very upset, and he should be. That ball was easily caught. Well, and I, I'm upset this evening at as Drupal Cabrera as we're watching the Minnesota game with the Indians tonight as Ruble Cabrera was taken out of the ball game in the second inning he went to his right for a ground ball uh, he didn't even move more than two steps Mark bent over to grab it on a backhand uh, evidently pulled a back muscle threw the guy out at first base but he was grimacing as he threw the ball and the Indians pulled him out of the ball game uh, I'm not sure that that was really a bad move because Mike Avillis for some reason was playing center field tonight. Now, this is the first time he has ever played center field for the Indians. They have set Michael Brantley down against the Minnesota left-hander, and I, I really don't know why you would set your, your leading hitter, your only American League All-Star, on the bench in a stretch of 11 games coming right off the All-Star break and, and sit him in a game of this magnitude. The Indians have to continue their, their winning ways. They cannot start being complacent again like they were in the first half of the year. They've got to start winning some ball games. 
And with Cabrera, Mark, it just seems to me that this guy never has anything wrong with him as far as injuries are concerned, major. But he has a lot of small, lingering injuries, and they only seem to happen when the team needs him, needs him to step to the forefront. Tonight is one of those nights, and he sits down. Why anybody would want this guy, I have no idea. I'm of the opinion, let's just get rid of him, let's get what we can get, bring Lindor up, let him bat ninth, and let's solidify this infield defense. I am tired of his Drupal Cabrera. You know, what I don't understand is I've been hearing Lindor's name for three years. And what's the philosophy of the Indians in, in historically, because I don't know what it is, in terms of, of just pulling the trigger on a kid like this, bringing him up? Is he hitting so poorly in the minor leagues that you don't dare bring him up? Or No. No, he. as far as everybody knows, he's major league ready right now. He's ready to go. But the Indians have this philosophy, Mark, and I'm going to I'm going to uh, just be totally frank about it. I don't think they want him arbitration ready this year. I think they'd like him to sit out this year, bring him up next year. That gives them an added year before he's arbitration eligible in what is it, 6 or 7 years. So they'll definitely have him until he's 27, 28 years old before he's ready to go arbitration. That's the way they've handled most of these kids in the minor leagues. Now, this is not the way John Hart and Mike Hargrove handled them. They brought them up. Devil beware about the arbitration. They just went ahead, brought these kids up. But this regime of Mark Shapiro and uh, uh, Chris Antonetti as GM, they have always been careful about bringing these kids up prior to the arbitration. And, and that's what they, they look at, Mark. It, that's just the way the Indians are, and you probably, we may see Lindor in September when he can come up and they don't have to count that as time served, but we won't see Lindor before that unless the Indians get their socks knocked off with a trade offer. Well, it's, uh, you know, the Reds need an infielder, <laughs> that's for sure. I honestly don't know why you would want Cabrera. I I'm going to be honest with you. Why anybody will take a chance, I think he's going to end up in New York next year. I think the Yankees will sign him. I think the Yankees will sign him to a long-term contract, three or four years, and he'll be the he'll be the heir apparent to Derek Jeter. I think that's the way it, it has always been set up. But I don't understand why anybody would want this guy. He is undependable. He is He is a liability. Mark, if you look at his stats, since he came up in 2007, he has, his strikeouts have increased, his batting average has gone down, his errors have gone up. He has taken for granted what the Indians have given him. They have never had anybody there to push him. And now he's in his, you would think he'd be having a great year this season, Mark, but he's not. This is his contract year, and he is having a very poor season, and when he sees that something is going wrong, he gets injured. That's just what I see as somebody who watches virtually all 162 games of Cleveland Indians baseball, and I have for the last 10 years. Well, we have a lot to complain about. Uh, I think on the, on the upside, in terms of what the Reds are trying to do, they're trying to win this with, with outstanding pitching. But what happens, Dave, is, as you know, when the pitchers are constantly in a situation where they cannot make a mistake, what happens? They make a mistake because they they have to be so fine with with no offense that you're just wasting some really great pitching this year. And if this team does not win the division this year, there, there is no excuse for it because they, they had it right in their hand. And uh, the, the Reds have, notwithstanding the last two games, they've had some great defense all year. They've had good bullpen work for the most part, certainly in the eighth and ninth innings. Uh, they've had good starting pitching. You, know, you have those three things. They're second in the league in stolen bases. I mean, what? What? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to, to figure out what they need, and yet this front office refuses to to, to go do it. So uh, th this one is going to be all on Walt Jockety. If this team does not win this year, there's no one to blame but him. And yet here I see, Mark, in most of the Major League Baseball rumors, St. Louis is selling the farm to win it this year. 
They're not only going after David Price from Tampa Bay, who Ken Rosenthal from Fox Sports says they are the leading candidate to get David Price here before the trade deadline next week, the 31st. They're also the leading candidate, Mark, to get Troy Tulowitzki from Colorado. And that's the kind of guy, Mark Tulowitzki, that the Reds could use. Oh, my gosh. He would change, he would change the entire franchise. And he, they'd probably get up, give up Zach Kozart to get him. They'd have to give up something. But so what? Uh, you're right. I mean, if the Cardinals to get, if the Cardinals get either one of those guys, they're going to win the division for the next two or three years. If they get both of them, this could be a franchise that doesn't lose for a while because that, that would have so much talent to that organization already. And so what if you give up your young kids? You have these guys sign long term. You don't need your young kids. Right. And, and, and like I said, you know, St. Louis is going out. They're looking at winning this division. They're looking past the division. They're trying to get to another World Series. They're looking at trying to win and win now. Meanwhile, like you said, what's Walt Jockety doing? I mean, the Reds have enough pitching prospects in the minor leagues and even a couple here at the major league level that are young that they could give to Colorado that Colorado would probably love to have. Are you telling me that they couldn't use a Robert Stevenson? Or Mike, Mike Leake or both of them? Correct. Or, or and it, even a Zach Cozart and package that, that bunch together to get a Troy Tulowitzki? Heck yeah. Well, it's just, you know, I think with the Reds, and to some, to some extent, I'm not blaming Reds fans. It's just the way Reds fans are. Reds fans are satisfied with their team being competitive and going to the playoffs and getting beat in the first round. It's okay. Uh, and because if the front office perceives that and they're not going to get a lot of blowback from, from the fans, uh, then they'll continue to do this. They won't take a chance. They won't go out there and try and get a Tulowitzki uh, or a Price or somebody like that. Uh, when's the last time the Reds have pulled a deal like that? Well, it's Ken Griffey Jr. And that was the last big deal they made. That was in, what, wow. 2000. Uh, I can't think of one in the last 14 years uh, outside of Griffey. Can you? No. No, you know, but... That you bring up Ken Griffey Jr. and and how long ago that was, Mark. You know, you're absolutely right. It has been a long, long time. The only other deal that I can really think off the top of my head that they made is the Latos deal. Yeah, that's right. That that is the only one. Brandon Phillips really wasn't even a trade. No, they he... really didn't pick him up in a trade. That's right. Um, you know, but boy, you see, you think back with some of the guys that they've got on this team, Mark, and you're you're absolutely correct that that Ken Griffey Jr. trade may have been the last really blockbuster deal the Reds have made throughout their uh, throughout the last ten years. I mean, did Walt Jockety correct me if I'm wrong? I, he did make the Latos deal, right? Yes, he did. Okay, but he had nothing to do with Ken Griffey Jr. Oh no, no, that was years. That was uh... yeah, right. I forget who the general manager was then, but it wasn't. I think it was um, the guys with Minnesota now. His name escapes me. But, uh, you know, the Reds just haven't uh, felt the need or the urgency because they're two and a half games back. And uh, if they don't win, well, we won the division the last two, you know, two years ago. We got a wild card last year. Uh, we'll, we'll just wait till next year and see how things go. And the Cardinals have a completely different philosophy. They just. Uh, they want to win now. Yeah, they, they definitely do. And see, this is a very important week for the Indians, Mark. And the reason this is a very important week is they need to get back into this race. They needed this weekend series against Detroit. They need to be able to do something against Minnesota. And then they're going to Kansas City for four games this weekend. They On this 11-game road trip inside the Central Division, they have got to generate some excitement with the Indian fans and the media. Why? Because the Browns open training camp on Friday. The players report on Thursday. And if the Indians are going through one of their lackadaisical periods, they will no longer get any more press, even as little as they were getting prior to this, they won't get any more press once the Browns start hitting the field 
And it'll be Johnny Manziel 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And that's what it's going to be. So the Indians really have got to start taking these games serious. And right now, tonight, they're down 3-1 to one to Minnesota. Which brings me to my question about Terry Francona to you. I think Terry Francona's biggest strength as a manager is also his biggest weakness. His biggest strength, if you listen to baseball people, is that he is calm, cool, and collected and doesn't get rattled one way or the other. His teams never have a sense of urgency. And I go back to 2002 when he was manager of Boston. The Red Sox were down 0-3 to the New York Yankees in the American League Championship Series. And what happened? They won four in a row, then won four straight in the World Series and won the championship. They didn't play until the sense of urgency hit them. The same thing happened in 2007, Mark, when the Cleveland Indians had a three games to one advantage over them in the American League Championship Series. The Red Sox came back, won three in a row, won the AL Championship, and then swept Colorado in the World Series four games to none. A sense of urgency hit their team. Coming out of the All-Star break, or going into September last year, the Indians had a sense of urgency. They won 21 games in September, 10 in a row, to make the playoffs. And then this year, they come out of the All-Star break knowing they had to play good baseball against Detroit or the season was over. They played with a sense of urgency, won three in a row, went into yesterday's game, Mark, and they played lackadaisical baseball because they know they had already won those three games. I think Francona's biggest strength, where he stays calm, cool, and collected, is also his biggest weakness as a manager because he does not implement a sense of urgency to his ball clubs. Well, I think you have to you have to balance that. I think I've played with managers or four managers or coaches where they're they're too aggressive too often. That they are over the top emotionally, and you cannot maintain that and have any kind of uh, consistency as a team. Um, on the other hand, the the guy who's low key, he may not get you fired up a hundred percent of the time, uh, but he's he's going to keep an even keel, and I, I think that's what I've noticed about Francona for years, I just like his attitude of the way he handles it day in, day out, because baseball, as we've all said, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint, and where you can have, in a 16-18 game schedule, I forget what it is in the NFL now, um, you can have a, a manager or a coach scream and yell and get you, you know, motivated for a game once every week. Uh, you can't do that in baseball. Uh, it, there's too many Oh, games. I agree with that. I, yeah, I definitely agree. So I, I, would, I would prefer to have a manager who is like Francona, and, and granted, he may not get the guys fired up as often as they should be, but on the other hand, uh, he, he's a calming influence in a sport that can be terribly frustrating. Well, tell me a little bit about what's going on with Joey Votto and Brandon Phillips on the disabled list right now for the Reds. Well, uh, Brandon Phillips today, uh, apparently he is throwing now and uh, he he still can't feel the ball yet. And it's going to be a long time before he can grab a bat. That's going to be the big thing. He'll be able to uh, field and throw and run and all those things, but he's not going to have any kind of power the rest of this year. And, um, you know, he hasn't even been lifting or, or, or anything. Uh, Joey Votto, he got another injection today uh, on some kind of blood plasma into his, his thigh, that's supposed to make the healing go faster. But it, I would be shocked if Joey Votto plays again for the Reds this year. Number one, I think by the time he comes back, they say the earliest he can come back is going to be September. And if, if that's the case, the only way he would come back then is if the Reds are in the, in the playoff hunt. Uh, they're not going to risk hurting him to have him come back and play when they're 10, 12 games out of first place. And unfortunately, I look back at my predictions at the beginning of the year. I picked the Reds fourth this year, and I picked them eight to ten games out of first place, which means by September they're going to be six or eight games out, and it's effectively it's over. So I think it's a long shot that Votto comes back. I think it's a a long shot that even if he comes back, that Brandon Phillips can be productive this year. So in answer to your question, 
ain't looking good. Mark, if St. Louis somehow gets David Price, but the Reds can somehow pry to Lewitsky, I don't know how they would do it since Jockety probably won't pick up the phone, but let's say the Reds get to Lewitsky, who's the favorite to win the division? Oh, if the Reds got to Lewitsky? Yes. Uh, well, I think the Reds would have a chance then if they have, they have a um, if they have something like that happen. Uh, it, it depends on who they give up, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I think the Reds would certainly be. They're only two and a half games behind, so you figure if Tulowitzki could come in and play uh, 60, 70 games, yeah, you know the Reds have a chance to to do just that. They they, they could win it. Do you think Tulowitzki is the shortstop if they can pry him away from Colorado without giving up Cozart? Uh, oh, sure. I mean, I, I think that Cozart uh, could actually go to second base, depending on what happens with Brandon Phillips. But, uh, you know, at this point, the Reds have – they don't have a lot of options at shortstop. That's the problem. So I just can't see why Walt Jockety – wouldn't pick up the phone, if anything, just to keep Tulowitzki away from St. Louis. I can understand why he wouldn't go after Price. That that I get. But Tulowitzki's a guy that the Reds could use. <laughs> yeah, I, I, he's a candidate for the most valuable player. And, you know, what you, you think about that, obviously you're picking up a huge contract with Tulowitzki. But imagine a lineup next year with Votto and Tulowitzki in it. I mean, that is, that, that's a frightening thought, so. Right. And Jay Bruce there with them? Well, Jay Bruce, uh, now that, that's an interesting thing you said. Um, would you trade Jay Bruce for Tulowitzki? Bingo. In a, in a nanosecond. Yeah, me too. Absolutely. Yeah, and depending upon, you know, I, I'd make a call to the Dodgers again because Matt Kemp is making noises that he doesn't want to be part of this four-man rotation that they've got going on. Well, it's uh, I think some activity can take place this year, uh, but it, it doesn't make any sense for the Reds to go out and get a a, a marginal player. They, that's all they have are marginal players right now. If you're not going to make a splash, then don't waste the time and the brain damage because it's, it's not going to help the team. And that if the Reds don't step up and make a move that, that puts some runs on the board, uh, it, it doesn't do any good to go out and sign a guy who's hitting 260. The Reds have an entire lineup of that. You need a guy who can hit 35, 40 home runs and hit 270, 280, 290 uh, and drive in 100 runs. But, you know, the, the idea of, of moving Jay Bruce, you, you talk about a package. How about Jay Bruce, Zach Tozart, and a, a minor league pitcher, a good one, for Tulowitzki? See, I, I think Robert Stevenson is your ace in the hole. I, I really do. I don't see the Reds. If, if they're going to make any attempt, Mark, at keeping Cueto and keeping Latos, they don't need Robert Stevenson. They can trade him away for a bat. Yeah, but I think it's better for the Reds to trade a Cueto, a Bailey, uh, or a Latos uh, for a Tulowitzki and bring up Robert Stevenson because then you've got a low-priced quality pitcher in your rotation for the next 10 years or six years at least. So I think if the Reds make a move, they could move one of their ace pitchers and they've got four of them. And, and you know, you, you forget about Tony Singrani. Again, the Reds have stuff to go to Colorado and say, look, we can make you a competitor. Give us two of the whiskey and we'll give you three guys. And all of a sudden, you're, you know, you're in the division run again. But he's a game changer. And, again, if he goes to St. Louis, it's, it's virtually lights out for the Reds and the rest of the Central Division. I, I agree with you there. Back to the Indians very quickly before we get to our Ask Us segment. Jason Kipnis was named the American League Player of the Week, albeit a short week. He batted 313 against the Tigers, Mark, with two homers, six RBIs, so he was the American League Player of the Week. Curtis Dickerson, who I was making fun of about three weeks ago, 
when the Indians picked him up. Uh, in the last 20 games, Mark, the guy has done nothing but bat 414. He had two home runs against the Tigers on Saturday night against Max Scherzer. And I think I remember that guy winning a Cy Young a year ago. Uh, but Dickerson has been a pleasant surprise for the Indians. Uh, I'm, I've got to say, right now I'm eating crow as far as Curtis Dickerson is concerned. Well, you know, water seeks its own level, and these guys have come over and they get off to a great start. And that's terrific. The trade looks great, uh, or the pickup looks great. Uh, but you, you have to measure these things over a long period of time, and that's where some trades look good early on and then not so good later, and vice versa. Where a guy gets off to a slow start, all of a sudden, two years later, he's, he's an all-star. Well, you're absolutely right. Hey, it's time for our Ask Us segment. You can send in your questions to Ask Us or DMitch at UltimateSportsTalk.com, or you can send us a tweet, and that's at, at OHBBCoHost. We've got a couple of questions here for us tonight on our Ask Us segment, Mark. Curly Q asks us, we had a question from them last week, would this team be better off with Brian Price or Dusty Baker? as manager, or doesn't it make any difference? I don't think it makes a, any, a, any difference at all. Uh, you, you cannot win with this kind of lineup. Uh, you're not going to win. I don't care who your manager is. So in, in terms of would Dusty Baker do any better with this team, the answer, in my opinion, is no. Uh, and he probably left town <laughs> at a good time. Because, uh, you know, it, it doesn't make any sense to to think you're going to compete with this team, uh, especially with with the offense they have. And uh, they just gave up another run on a bad defensive play. So uh, this game is, is in the bag for Milwaukee at this point. But, uh, no, I, I think, CC, your, your question is, would a manager make a difference with this lineup? No, it wouldn't. Okay, Becky J comes in tonight and asks us, if Zach Cozart continues to struggle at the plate, and given the injuries to Brandon Phillips and Joey Votto, do you think the Reds will attempt to trade for a stronger offensive shortstop before the trade deadline, or is Cozart's defensive ability enough to keep him as the starting shortstop? We've kind of beat around the bush on that, but what do you think, Mark? Is, is that a viable trade opportunity, or is his defense good enough to keep him in the lineup? Well, his defense is certainly good enough to keep him in the lineup if Jay Bruce was not hitting 219 and Brandon Phillips and Joey Votto, they were not on the DL and everybody else was hitting. You know, having a shortstop hitting 235, 230, 240 in that range with his kinds of defensive skills is more than acceptable. But when you have a situation where you're relying on a guy like Cozart to drive in runs and get on base and, and all that stuff, you know, you're asking too much of a guy who doesn't have that skill set. But there are teams where he would fit in very nicely because of, of his great defensive skills, and he's, he's an outstanding defensive shortstop. But when you when you have to look at him and say, gosh, you got to drive in 60 runs this year, uh, that's when you're in trouble. All right, and our third question tonight, all of them were on the, uh, the Reds here, by the way, Mark. Peter J., sends us in a question. Joey Votto, Brandon Phillips, Jay Bruce, Ryan Ludwig. How did Walt Jockety miss on so many players? <laughs> Boy, that's, that's a great question. And uh, at some point, decision-making at the front office level always shows up, good or bad. It may not show up the first year, second year, or third year, but it shows up. And, you know, the the only person on that list I would not say is underperforming before they got hurt was Brandon Phillips. Brandon Phillips has been consistent ever since he's been in Cincinnati, and he's been a fantastic defensive player. So I don't think that's the issue. But uh, when you look at Jay Bruce and Ludwig and Votto, uh, the decision that you you put $25 million a year into Joey Votto. I, I don't. I like Joey Votto, but for $25 million a year, you could have Tulowitzki. You could have uh, you, you could have just about anybody in baseball. 
Anybody in baseball you could have for that amount of money, and you put it into a guy who's seldom going to hit more than 20, 25 home runs a year and not drive in 80, 90 runs. Uh, that's, that's a misappropriation of funds. And what really scares me, uh, the, the list that that, uh, that caller, or that listener brought up, is Jay Bruce. Uh, Jay Bruce, I think, has, has reached a point in his career where the, the National League has figured him out. And unless Jay Bruce figures out the league, uh, his career is in jeopardy. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly dramatic, but I watched him over the weekend, David, and he's not even close to hitting balls. He's, he's missing a ball by six to eight inches. And he's, he's, he's not taking balls that he should take. He's swinging at balls that are in the dirt. And he's hitting 218. It's July. And this is the stud you have in right field. It, it, it's really amazing what's happened to him, but this this organization has some big decisions to make, and I'm afraid Jay Bruce may be on the top of the list of, of you know, what, what do you do with, with these kinds of contracts? I hope I asked this question correctly. I, I'm trying to get the right verbalization here as to how to ask this question, but Jay Bruce, in conjunction with his contract, and Joey Votto, in consideration of his contract, which one is the worst contract? Votto. No question about it. I'm just talking economics now. Bruce's contract, I think, is only for four more years or three more years. Uh, you can get out of it. And he, he's, he's tradable. Votto isn't tradable. And if he is going to be a physical liability... Uh, it's because of injuries, and it, it would appear that he has uh, some physical liabilities. Uh, just he's, he's injured on a regular basis, not all the time, but regularly. So he, you know, you can count on him on being in the DL, and he's a first baseman. You would think that would not be a position that's going to get you on the DL, but he's on the DL a lot. You cannot get rid of that contract, and if Joey Votto becomes a 260 hitter, a 280 hitter, even even that, and he's hitting 15 home runs, and he's driving in 80, 90 runs, you just really, really hurt your organization by that contract. I, I just don't quite understand what Jockety was thinking when he signed those guys, especially Phillips and... Votto virtually at the same time to the types of contracts that he put them into? Well, I'll tell you, my, my opinion is that it's easier to sign those guys to a contract than to be creative and go out there and try and assemble a team through trades and, and the draft. It, that's the easy route. You take Castellini's money and say, look, we're going to sign Votto to a long-term deal. We're going to sign Phillips. We're going to sign Bruce. Uh, we're going to sign uh, a lot of our pitchers, uh, Homer Bailey. I mean, these are huge contracts. And not one of them, not one of them have lived up to the expectations that were implicit in the contracts they signed. Not one of them. Now, when you're 0 for 5 or 0 for 6 in those kinds of contracts, you're in trouble. And anybody who thinks this organization has... Help waiting in the minor leagues is in, <laughs> they don't. They don't have help in the minor leagues. They've got some decent pitching in the minor leagues, but uh, th this team is not blessed with a great farm system. And boy, with these contracts, uh, I mean, imagine, David, who would take on Joey Votto at this point, given his injury background, for that contract? The, Red the, only, the only team I can think of, Mark, is Toronto. But, but Toronto doesn't need him. No, I, mean, I agree. I mean, they, they have a great hitting ball club to begin with. But it, it's the, the point is, your question was, which of these contracts hurts the Reds more uh, or the most? It, it, it's certainly going to be a Votto because the other two guys, there's only two years left, I think, on Phillips and three years left on Bruce. you got you got ten years left with Votto. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Well... You and I have been through this before. Why anybody would sign anyone to a contract of seven 
years or longer, I think, is, is nuts. I, I would never sign anybody past five years. Well, look look what the, the Rangers did with Chu this year. Uh, <laughs> what they gave him seven years, $120 million or something crazy like that. And he's sitting 239. And the, the team is, what, 22 games behind uh, in, in, the, in the division. Uh, I don't understand these kinds of contracts or these kinds of players. And, you know, in terms of what the Reds need right now, you, you mentioned Tulowitzki. Yeah, I'd love to have him in the lineup, but I think Colorado may be in the same position as the Reds. What do you, who's going to take over aside from St. Louis and maybe the Yankees? Now, I mean, to me, Tulowitzki's a better fit for New York than he is St. Louis. He would be, he'd have a monument in center field. But I, I, it's going to be interesting to see if the Cardinals pull a deal like that because if they go after Price as well, you're talking about contracts for those two guys that have to be well over $100 million, maybe $150 million. Well, I don't know what Tulowitzki is making. I know Price isn't making, and Price is only making around $8 million a year. Yeah, but that's going and, to be over soon. I mean, when he comes yeah, up. after next year. Yeah. So he, he's yeah. going to be, and you got to give up the ball. You have to give up a whole lot to get Price, and it, he's but only. The Cardinals for, can afford it. Yeah, I, I agree. The, the Cardinals are, are the Cardinals, the Yankees, and the Dodgers are the only three teams I think that Price could go to. Tulowitzki, uh, you know, as an everyday player. Now, I think everyday players have more value than pitchers. Uh, in my opinion, for, for those kinds of contracts, but in terms of, of who can afford them, there's not a big there's not a big uh, list of uh, com- uh, clubs that these guys can go to. And uh, of course, I'm hearkening back to what the Reds are faced with, and I, I really have some some grave concerns about where this team is going financially. I I have a lot of concerns as to where they have gone since Walt Jockety has taken over his GM market. Before I get into that, that's going to do it for our Ask Us segment. Thanks to our questions to everybody tonight. You can get back in for our Ask Us segment next week just simply by sending us an email to askus or dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com or send us out a tweet to at ohbbcohost. Mark, I've got to ask you this question. What has Walt Jockety done to improve this ball club since he became general manager? Well, I think the biggest trade, as you mentioned, was Matt Latos. I mean, he's the guy that, that uh, um, has been a, a worth the people he gave up. That, I think it was a good strategic decision for the Reds to make that move, and I think it was a good financial decision. But on the everyday player front, uh, when Skip Schumacher, it, it, Schumacher is your best offensive acquisition in the last several years that tells you where the Reds are in terms of adding everyday players. And, and they, they haven't done that for, for a long time. So they, they've needed a left fielder for five years, and they don't have one. And Okay, the trade deadline mark is coming up July 31st. Uh, according to a lot of rumors that were going around over the weekend, the San Francisco Giants were interested in trading uh, for Azdrubal Cabrera or Mike Avillis of the Cleveland Indians. Now, I would have been glad to give up either one of those two guys for Tim Lincecum, but that's another story. Evidently, the Giants wouldn't allow that. So they went out and they got Dan Ugla. Is Dan Ugla of the Atlanta Braves, or now the San Francisco Giants, I should say, is, is his career over? In my opinion, it is. Uh, you know, he, he was figured out by the league, and that's what scares me about Jay Bruce. The league has figured out Jay Bruce. Now, in Ugla's case, he did not make the readjustment. He came into the league, he tore the league up, the league adjusted, and he hasn't come back and made an adjustment. The same with Jay Bruce. He's not made the adjustment to the adjustment that the pitchers made. They know how to pitch him now. And either he's hard-headed, or he's, he's just lost his focus in terms of what they are trying to do to him. But uh, right now, but he's got him figured out. And some guys, like Ugla, they don't come back. This presumption, or presumption that, hey, he's just having a bad year. No, he hit one, what, 165 last year? <laughs> and he's not hitting much better this year? 
The league has him figured out. The league has Jay Bruce figured out. So it's up, it's up to Jay Bruce now if he's going to, you know, make a, a long-term career. He's got to go back and, and go back to the drawing board. Can he, though? Well, he certainly can. I think he's got the talent, but not everybody does that. Uh, not everybody makes those kinds of adjustments. And there's a, you know, you go back. Every team have have these kinds of players where they, they are good for a couple years and then they're not. And people say, well, he lost focus, or he got married, or you know, he's on the juice, or whatever. That, that's not the point. The point is. The pitchers learn how to pitch to the hitters. And once they do that, it's up to the hitter to make adjustments. Yeah. Remember, remember Cal Ripken? People used to make fun of him because he'd change his stance, you know, every 25, 50 games. Well, there was a reason for that. Because he, he perceived that the pitchers had figured him out. So he, he would move up in the box. He'd move back in the box. He'd change the position of his bat. He'd go to right field. He, he'd do stuff. So he presented a different challenge to the pitcher. Rather than go up there with the same approach, game in, game out, and you're hitting 215, and you think it's going to work after 100 at-bats? No, it's not. Or 200 at-bats? It's not, not going to work. So change. But, but, you know, most major league players don't do it. Well, the Indians, like I said, they won three out of four against Detroit this weekend. And, Mark, I'll tell you what. Detroit has got one glaring problem, and that is the bullpen. They have nobody that they can rely on to come into the ball game and shut the other team down. They've got a great starting staff. I won't argue with you there. But as far as their bullpen is concerned, that is a big weakness on the Tigers' part. So they are looking at bringing in maybe a couple of relievers, when this comes down. Now, one of them, I know you've seen out of San Diego, uh, Joaquin Benoit. What can you tell me about Benoit, if anything, and would he be able to help Detroit? Oh, yeah, I believe he would. Absolutely. Did you think he wouldn't? Well, I mean, anything that they could bring in right now that can actually throw the ball over the plate, I think, would help Detroit. The other guy that they're looking at trying to bring in is out of Texas, Joaquin Soriano, who has been with Kansas City for the last few years and then went to Texas. I'm not sure Texas is in full-blown fire sale mode, though. I mean, when you look at Texas, Mark, they've got 15 guys on the season-ending disabled list. They've got over $80 million on the DL that won't be coming back this year. I, you know, when, And they're in last place. I understand that. Houston is ahead of the Texas Rangers. That's how bad the Rangers have played this year. But... When they start next season, I don't think they want to fire sale everybody right now because they think they can be back in competitive mode next year when everybody comes back and is healthy. Well, you, you were asking earlier in terms of um, the, I don't know what the Indians, what you think they need or, or actually would go after on the trade deadline, but the two most prolific um, trade rumors for the Reds right now are Ben Zobrist, and Marlon Byrd, which I think could help the Reds. But, again, are you picking up anything that's going to be earth-changing when you don't have Votto and Phillips in the lineup? I, I, I don't think those guys are the answer. You know, Marlon Byrd is, is a very – Zobris, no, I agree with you. No, I've, I've watched Zobris with Tampa Bay for too many years. No, I agree with you. He's, not, he's going to be Ryan Ludwig all over again. But Marlon Byrd is a very interesting – character, Mark, because he's the type of guy that if he gets hot, he could carry a ball club for a week or two. Yeah, he did that last year. I mean, in, the year, in fact, the year before he did it. Um, yeah, yeah I, I see your point there. But again, he'd play left field, but he'd basically be replacing Ryan Ludwig. And I bet you if you look at the statistics of those two hitters right now, they're pretty similar. So I, I, don't know what, I don't know what you're going to be picking up. It's going to be that much better than than what you got, unless again, as you suggested, a Tulowitzki type trade. But you know, realistically, Dave, the Reds aren't going to do that. 
not not with the contract of uh, of Joey Votto. They're not going to have another guy making twenty five or thirty million dollars. No, I agree with you. They're they're not going to do that. Another guy that is on the Phillies that there's two guys that are on the Phillies that are available right now. Do you think Detroit? And I have not heard this, but this makes all the sense in the world to me. Detroit goes after Jonathan Papelbon of Philadelphia. Yeah. I think that's uh, a guy that can make a difference for that team. And that, that's what you have to look at for these trades. Unless they're going to make a difference, why do them? And in the case of a team like the Reds, I mean, realistically, Dave, when you have your two best offensive players on the bench, basically, Vado's been out all year. He's only, what, played in 40 games. Uh, he's been out all year. Phillips is now out. Bruce has been a non-issue. You you can't win a division like that. You can't. And if you were going to if you're going to, to to bring in somebody to help this team as a left fielder, you needed to have done that in spring training. Right. A guy who can hit 290 and, and drive in. Uh, 90 to 100 runs. Now, I'm not talking about a superstar, but somebody who can can help your lineup, and the Reds didn't do that. Oh, well, see, the Indians, they need somebody. It, it's it's eerie how similar the Reds and the Indians are as far as what they need in their lineup. The Indians need a power-hitting right-handed hitter. That's exactly what they need. And that, you know, this Indians lineup, is a pretty darn good lineup, Mark, when everybody's clicking. But when they've only got five or six guys clicking and three or four guys aren't, they have trouble scoring runs. That's when you need a power hitter that even when he's hitting 200, he can bop the ball out at any time, like a Dave Kingman, someone of that, someone of that ilk, Mark. And that's really what the Indians need. Um, you know, when you look at this lineup, I can't see the Indians going out and doing anything. I, I can see them going out and maybe tinkering with their bullpen a little bit, maybe bringing in a starter. I've heard Bartolo Colon, which is just another reclamation project that the Indians need to be looking at. But those those are all the names that I have heard that they would be going after. Another Another player on Philadelphia I've heard that's available is A.J. Burnett. And Pittsburgh seems to be interested in him, which is strange because he was on Pittsburgh a year ago. That's right. And it's funny, he didn't resign with them. But I'm curious, who, in your opinion, are the three best offensive players on uh, the uh, Indians right now? Michael Brantley, Michael Brantley, and Michael Brantley. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Michael Brantley obviously is the first. Uh, I would say that, and, and this is, after this, the other two are not in any order, but Lonnie Chisholm and Jan Gomes, which is amazing because the two highest-priced guys you've got, Nick Swisher and Michael Bourne, Nick Swisher's hitting 200, although over the last month he's hit 250, which is a great improvement, and Michael Bourne's been on the DL, and nobody knows when he's coming back. Carlos Santana? is another one. You're waiting for him to hit. It seemed like he was going to start hitting, but now he's gone back into the doldrums, and he's hitting under 200 again. So, you know, this is a team where they need to have everybody clicking. And I'm not sure this is one of those years where they're going to get everybody clicking. Let me ask you a question. Take those three guys you just mentioned, Brantley, Chisinau, and Gomes, out of the lineup, and tell me what the offense looks like. Oh, it's pathetic. Okay, take out Votto, Phillips, and Bruce. That's what the Reds are facing. Right. But I, I will tell you this. If you take Michael Brantley off the Indians and put him on the Reds, I think the Reds win the division. Oh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think that guy that guy could do it. I think you take Lonnie Chisholm, Mark, put him in right or left field with the Reds, I think the Reds win the division. Not third base. Don't don't take me wrong. Not third base. Yeah. But you can put him in right or left field, and the Reds win the division. Jan Gomes is a catcher. 
Now, I'm not sure that the Reds would be interested in trading Jan Gomes for Devin Mesoraco. I no. doubt it. No. So I'm not going to even put Jan Gomes on the Reds. But I think you put Brantley and or Chisholm on the Reds, they win the division. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Now that Hey, I want to get into a couple things here real quick before we end tonight's show. The All-Star Game. The American League won 5-3. to three. Great for the American League now. They have the home field advantage in the World Series. But it was a goodbye salute to Derek Jeter. Mark, I wanted to ask you, did baseball do the right thing in how they handled Derek Jeter last week? Well, you know, it's hard to argue with what they did because baseball is based on tradition. And a guy who's played as many years as, as he has played and played as well, he's a good guy. I, I maybe Was it a little overboard? Yeah, probably. But I don't think anybody's going to regret it. And I think he is the kind of guy who, um, you know, is going to be um, in the Hall of Fame, obviously, for, you know, in five years. So uh, I'm okay with what they did, actually. I'm okay with what they did, too. But on the other hand, the snub that Major League Baseball gave to Tony Gwynn and Don Zimmer, along with some other people that had passed away, was baseball wrong to ignore paying tribute to those players? Oh, I was I was stunned by the lack of uh, recognition of Tony Gwynn. I, I mean, this guy. I was too. I mean, I was just stunned about that. I mean, he he certainly uh, on the field he was a better player than uh, than, than uh, Jeter. Jeter's a great player, but T- Tony Gwynn was an unbelievable player. And uh, this guy died at 54 years old. <laughs> Jeez, uh, a, a tragedy. And I, I think that he uh, should have gotten a lot more recognition than he did. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Even, you know, Fox and Major League Baseball came out and said that, well, they didn't want to give Tony Gwynn too much of a spotlight over the other people that had passed away, like Don Zimmer. Well, then why couldn't they have done something, Mark, like, the Academy Awards do every year, in memoriam, a nice little tribute to the players during the seventh inning stretch. Something like that could have been done. But instead, they just totally ignored the entire situation through the, the entire broadcast, never said a thing about it. I thought that was, that was a big mistake by baseball. I, I agree with you. And... Um... You know, maybe they'll do it at some other time. I don't know when they do it. Maybe next year in San Diego or, or, or something. But uh, he, he certainly was. Um, I, I met Tony Gwynn one time for about 10 minutes. Uh, and just a really funny, outgoing guy. I, I really liked him. And uh, what, take, watching him take batting practice one time, it's just amazing. Just a, a tremendous, tremendous hitter. And real quick, I want to bring up this last thing, uh, story from yesterday, just mainly so I can prove to you that I can say this guy's name. Right-hander Odrasimer Despagne of the San Diego Padres tried to give the Padres their first franchise no-hitter yesterday, Mark, but Dan Murphy of the Mets broke up Despagne's bid with four outs to go Sunday afternoon. The Padres have gone... 7,264 games plus 34 more in the postseason without a no-hitter coming into existence in 1969. Mark, do you know the longest streak by a major league club to not have a no-hitter thrown? The New York Mets? Oh, are you good. Amazing. You uh, you must have read that earlier today. I swear, I swear to God, I, I, I did not know. The only reason I remember that is that two years ago when, uh, who was it, uh, Liriano? Johan Santana. Santana pitched a no-hitter. I remember hearing that on the, on the broadcast. They'd never had one. So my question was, had, they, had anybody gone from like 1969 to two years ago um, without a no-hitter? So um, I guess I was right. 8,020 games. The Mets went. They were born in 62, and two years ago, you hit it right on the head. Johan Santana pitched one against the Cardinals in June of 2012. So the Padres had the longest streak 
7,298 games without a no-hitter. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Uh, they've got Milwaukee the next three games, and then they, let me see, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I believe they have uh, Washington, Washington this Washington weekend. Nationals, yeah. So uh, they've, got their, they've got their hands full. And um, I, next week at this time, Dave, we may honestly, the Reds could be out of it. They, they could be that many games behind in, in a week. So, well, the, you know, honestly, the, the Indians could be out of it right now, too. I mean, the Brewers are up on Cincinnati right now 5-1. to one. And Minnesota is leading the Indians right now by a score of 3-2. to two. And the Indians, they've got Minnesota not only tonight, but tomorrow and Wednesday afternoon. Then they go to Kansas City for a four-game set. And then they're off next Monday, and then they play Seattle. So, you know, both clubs realistically, Mark, could be out of it. You know, and we'll let you know next Monday night. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Mark. Good night, David. We'll talk to you again next week. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Don't forget to join me on Thursday night with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show. That's at 7 o'clock. And Mark and I will be back next Monday night with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show at 9 o'clock here at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for being our producer, but our thanks most of all to you for listening tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell for Mark Donahue. Until next week at 9 o'clock, good night, everybody.